Amen. It does. Every word there packs a punch. Check, check. There we are. Every word there packs a punch. <laughs> okay, um, before we get started, all right? So, very first time, I want to introduce to you our newly married Mr. and Mrs. Andy Martinez. Literally straight off the boat. All right, cruise ship landed this morning, and here they are. It's fantastic. Um, let me say this. Let me say this for the sake of the recording, for the sake of those who are teaching in the children's ministry right now, um, for the sake of those who maybe have missed the service and you're hopping right to the, to the sermon portion. Could you please go backwards in our live stream and listen to what, uh, what I had a chance to share prior to our break, all right? So if you would do that for us. You know, um, yeah, I had the privilege of marrying this couple just a week ago last night. And uh, this is something that I shared in their wedding. I share this really in most weddings, and it's this, churches. Churches are a lot like weddings and marriages. And this is what I typically say. Weddings are really quite easy and and, you know, people are thinking, you're, you're crazy. They're not easy. They take a ton of work, a ton of effort, um, a ton of time, and a ton of money. And so um, but the reality is, is weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. Marriage is what's difficult. The, the, the wedding is not difficult. Um, marriage is hard. And uh, all the married people said... Yeah, right? I mean, that's the reality. Um, they're worth it, but they're hard. Similarly, planting churches is easy. It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of energy, takes a lot, takes a lot. I get that. Um, and that first day, you know, starting that first day as a church plant, that is quite a day, but in reality, that's easy. Church life is difficult. Um, so starting a church is really quite simple. Uh, building a church with health and maturity is quite difficult. To which I say, God help us. Lord help us in what we're seeking to do, what we unpacked a little bit ago. That's, that's really a description of the letter of Titus, what I just said. Uh, a church was planted, but now it needs health and it needs maturity. And these first four verses really kick off the, the entire letter. It's a summary of the whole letter. You, you literally will take different words there in these first four verses. They're going to pop up through the letter. It's a brief letter, but it's not a simple letter. Um, it's got depth is what I'm saying. So don't equate, oh, it's short, insignificant. No, it's, it's very significant. A couple pieces to get our handles. What are some handles here? Well, who is it written by? It's written by Paul. He's the church planter. And he writes to Titus. He's the church pastor. Titus was a co-worker with Paul. We can show that in different places in the New Testament. He was sent by Paul to pastor in Crete. All right, that's a very simple who. When? Well, it's about A.D. 60-ish, 
It's in early to mid-60s, so we're talking. <laughs> talking year 60, probably 63, 64, 65 range, early. Where? Well, it's, it's in Crete is where this church is that Titus is pastoring. Crete is an island, and it's full of violence. Uh, it's full of corruption. It's got these great harbors, um, which makes it strategic. It's a strategic place for commerce. It's a strategic place for church planting and gospel advancement. And so there's a network of churches there that have been planted in Crete. That's the where. Why? Well, it's this word, Kretso. That's the original language. Um, that's the Greek. It means to be a liar. All right? And so you're Kretso. It means you're Cretan. You're a Cretan. You're a, you're a liar. You're a corrupt person. That's the reputation of this, uh, this place called Crete. Crete, actually, as we unpack the letter you'll find, seems to be quite a lot alike to America in 2023. America is quite Cretan, if you will. And this Cretan or Cretan culture has made its way into the church here in Crete. And it's made its way into the church here in America. And it comes with its own teachers. These are false teachers. And, and Paul, through Titus, is seeking to address that and establish maturity and health in the church. Paul sent Titus to Crete to restore, to set things in order, to establish a church. We didn't read it, but just look at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So that's his, that's his role, to set things in order, to establish a church. And so I want you to think of this church, if you will, over these next seven weeks. It's a bit of a church manual on how to do church. It is living under the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we do this thing that we call church? Or as Tim Chester puts it, Titus is all about ensuring the gospel is central to everyday life of the church so that the world can be reached for Christ. It is intensely God-centered. It is intensely everyday practical. Titus is a short but not shallow letter. It is thick in its God-centered gospel message that seeks to help us set things right in the church that the church might be this transformed community living amongst the Cretzo. All right, that's my two-sentence statement over the little letter. Let's pause and pray, and we're gonna dive in. Father, we ask for your help right now through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would help me as a preacher. I pray that you would help us as hearers. Lord, that we would not be hearers only, but we would be doers of your word. Keep us from that deception of having heard something as if we're now living something. Lord, move us to action. Help us in this series and in the preaching of your word throughout the rest of this year. Lord, to build, to establish, to bring health where needed. So I pray by your spirit, anoint the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we ready? Titus, number one. It's a God-centered letter. So my title starts, you know, it just 
top of the thing says greeting. Well, it is a greeting. It certainly is that, but I put over it God-centered letter. Like it's, it is so God-centered. Did you hear what Richard read just a few minutes ago? Um, just circle all the references to God, the Lord, the Savior in these first four verses. Make note of, I'm going to read it again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect people, people belonging to God and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I don't know how Paul can make it more clear. This letter is going to be about God, his people who belong to him, that he has elected, he has chosen. Paul, how could you make it more clear? So why are we going through Titus? The title this morning is Why Titus? It's the title that, it's not a clever title, it's the title I've given to every series we've preached at Trinity. So if you've been here for 20 some years, you've heard, why Genesis? Why Samuel? Why Isaiah? Why Galatians, James? Why Matthew, Mark, Luke? We haven't done John yet. Acts, Romans, you know, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Yeah, and on and on. Like, it's, it's why Titus this morning? Why are we going through this book? Well, first of all, to grow as a God-centered people. That's why we're going through this book. Trinity, we need this God-centered letter. We want to be a God-centered church. Now hear me, those are not just words that we say. It's so easy to turn things, you know, and especially things that when you use them repetitively, they can just become words. We don't want them to just be words. We don't want them to just be words that we say. We don't want them to just be words that are on a website. We want it to be who we are. We want to be a God-centered people. Help us, Lord. Uh, we want to live out those words. We want every elder. We want every leader. We want every children's ministry worker. We want every greeter and on and on and on. We want every member at Trinity to bleed God-centered gospel. You cut Paul, you're, he's going to bleed the gospel. A God-centered gospel. That's what we want at Trinity. All right? So that's where we begin. Number two. Why Titus? Because of our God-centered in eternity past. The God-centeredness of our eternity past. There's two past references. I love how the Bible does this. Bible regularly, I, think of, I always think of 1 Peter chapter 1. Maybe my favorite in how Peter unpacks this. But unpacks past, present, future. All right, that's where we're going this morning. In a God-centered past Eternity past. And so he's got two reference here, references here to the past. The first is eternity past, God's activity. When we say eternity past, we're talking about God's activity before there ever was. Before there ever was what? Before there ever was anything. 
or anyone, God is active. Okay, and so we're going to get to that in a minute. And then there was, there's also a second reference. It says, at the proper time. Okay, this is referring to God's activity via Christ. Okay, so for there ever was, in the beginning God, before that. Okay, for Genesis 1-1, that. And then a reference to Christ. You see, when God wants to say past, he goes way back in the past. Way back in the past. He goes so far in the past. He goes before you and I ever were, before anyone ever was. When God wants to go into eternity past, he goes beyond anyone or anything ever was. And what he's saying here in this text is your salvation is so entirely God-centered, it's so entirely anchored in the election of God, so far back, you were chosen before you ever were, before anyone else ever was, before anything ever, ever existed. Before in the beginning God, before that, God was electing you. Let that settle into your soul a moment. This is your salvation. And it is so entirely, completely encompassed in the God-centered anchoring of election that before you ever were, before anything ever was, he was electing you. He was choosing you. Now that should drive us to worship. Humble worship. Undone worship. Why Titus? Well, to grow us as a God-centered church, to grow our hearts in humble worship of him. This letter is going to affect our hearts. Without him ever using the words humble or worship, it's going to stir our hearts in humble worship. Let us be undone with the words, where is it, verse 2? In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. What did he promise? Go back to verse 1. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Before there was time, God was. What was God doing before there was time, before there was a beginning? If you are a true Christian, if you are living your life for him, if you have repented of your sins and you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then Titus is telling us, we're two verses in. Two verses into this little letter. He's telling us God was doing something. And what he was doing is he was electing you and me if you're a true follower of Christ. That's stunning. He was electing Bobby Hamlet to faith in Christ. He was electing Nate Taylor to faith in Christ. Johnny Moore. Christian Moscoso, 
Pat Patrick, if you're a follower of Christ, he was electing you. Let that sink in to our heads and in our heart. What does this mean for us? Well, that's why we're doing Titus. He's going to unpack. What does this mean for us? He tells us that this letter is for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now, now you may not be so convinced of God's electing. You might not be so excited as I am in hearing these things. You might be struggling with me right now. Or more importantly, you you need to struggle with God's word. Because I'm just saying what it's saying. This one verse throws me into worship hands in the air, singing, praise be to God. My God was electing me before I ever was, before anything ever was. Here, what Paul is saying is that your salvation is not anchored to your free will. Your salvation is actually anchored to the sovereign free will of God in eternity past. And that's where we want to put the exclamation point at Trinity. We want the exclamation point to land squarely in the sovereign grace of God. That your salvation, you would see your salvation as a completely God-centered thing that has taken place in your life. Paul is saying here that you were chosen not because of your faith, but rather you were chosen to faith. So John John Calvin speaks of God's electing purposes. He says this, Paul points out that faith does not begin with us. It is because God has chosen us, because of his immutable election and because of the unmerited goodness which showed in adopting us as his children that he gave us to Jesus Christ. Or Paul to the Romans says this, chapter 8, 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Which is to say, God gets it done. From start to finish, God gets it done. Or, we don't have the time, but I encourage you, read Romans 9. Slowly, carefully, read Romans 9. We do have time to go to Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. When? When did this take place? This choosing. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless in him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ our Lord according to the purpose of whose will? His will. His will. To to, to what end? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus said not only... Are we chosen in him? But Jesus' words, we're also kept in him. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. 
Oh, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm a mess. You're a mess. Who's holding who? Who's hanging on to who? Well, praise be to God, as I'm hanging on to him, oh, he's hanging on to me. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He couldn't have been more clear in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This is the thick riches of the sovereign grace of God in salvation. The sovereign electing purposes that we're reading about here in Titus. So why are we going to Titus? Well, to grow as a God-centered church, to grow in our hearts of humble worship, and for the sake of the faith. He says it, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. Now we're going to get to more of that in a moment, because what is that? That's the present. That's the present. Before we cover the present, We've covered the past. Let's go to the future for a moment. Number three, a God-centered future. Look again at verse three. No, verse two. In the hope of eternal life. It doesn't work just to break into the middle. Let's go back to the start. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Okay, so that's the future. Do do you see the glory of what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying here? There's a marriage going on. There's a marriage of the ages in the past, Married to future ages. Before there ever was, one day will be. Married there in verse 2. And he says, uh, in hope of eternal life. Now, when it says hope, we get lost in those words sometimes. It's It's not this, I hope so, like we talk of. You know, I hope to go on vacation um, later this year. You know, kind of this, hopefully, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. No, biblically, the word hope is this surety, this certainty, this absolute grounded anchor that we're speaking of here. It is, it is literally rooted in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. That's your hope. That's your absolute certainty. Biblical hope, then, is this anchor. It's an absolute certainty. It's anchored to Christ, who is our hope. Rooted in God's faithful promises in the past, present, future. This hope is so anchored. It is such solid ground. It's it's literally anchored to eternity past. It's literally anchored to the work that Christ has already done being referred to here. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. 
He chose us before there was time, and at the proper time, he manifested his word. So, what, what the scripture is saying here, so hope. You've been chosen in eternity past. Hope in your eternal future. How can you be sure? You might be here and you're thinking, how can you be sure that Christ is going to return? How can we know? How can you be sure that one day you're going to die and go to heaven? How can we know that you're going to be in heaven with Christ in eternity? Well, not because I hope so. Not because I hope so, but because I have this hope. And that hope is rooted, it's anchored, and its anchor is Jesus Christ and what he's already accomplished. It's anchored in the past promises of God. It's anchored in who God is. It's anchored in the faithfulness of God. It's anchored in the character of God. It's literally anchored in God, in the truest sense. Eternity past, before you and I ever were, before anything ever was, it's anchored in that. In God's activity before there ever was a creation, God is at work and he's electing you, he's choosing you. So what Titus is being told here through Paul, inspired by the Spirit, hope in your eternal life in him. Eternity past tells me I've been chosen by God. My present life shows me there is a God. Your present life shows you there is a God. I can and do know him. You can know him. And this is promised by God. So why Titus? Well, to grow as a God-centered church, to grow in our hearts of humble worship for the sake of the faith, in godliness, this little letter is going to drive us to godliness in the hope, not wishful thinking, in the certainty of your eternal life in Christ. This brings us to number four, God-centered in the present. All right, so he's God-centered before there ever was time. He's God-centered in the ages yet to come. He's God-centered in the present. What does eternity past, what does eternity future do for us today, right now? Well, Titus shows us it does something for us. And that's where we're headed in Titus. You know, you could think of the first three points this morning is doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Point four is life. It's living out that doctrine. And it's just so beautiful what, what is being done here by God through his spirit. You see, doctrine is never just for information. That's not the point of doctrine. We don't study doctrine to just simply learn doctrine. We don't study doctrine to, to maybe impress others or even impress ourselves. That's not the purpose of doctrine, theology. It isn't to win an argument. The purpose of doctrine isn't to impress oneself or impress others. The purpose of doctrine, doctrine is supposed to land in our living rooms. It's supposed to land in our cars tomorrow morning as you commute to work. Doctrine is to function. 
Doctrine is to land in our marriages. It's to land in our parenting. It's to literally land in every nook and cranny of our lives. Doctrine, if we simply make it be about information, well, Scripture tells us knowledge puffs up. But doctrine rightly applied into our lives, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to humble us. In particular, the doctrine of God, the study of God, the theology of God. Wow! When you start to unpack who God is, if we walk away from those moments thinking high and mighty thoughts of ourselves, we need to start over who it is that we're studying. Because the right response that lands in our living rooms is it puts us on our knees and our faces before a holy God. We don't want to just know things. We want to grow in what we know that we might be transformed for the glory of our God. We want to be transformed. We want to be ever being transformed more and more and more to be like Jesus, the Son of God. Why Titus? Well, that, what I just said, is spoken of in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Behold the glory of the Lord. Study who he is. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's how Titus works. It's gonna work on us. It's gonna do its work in us. The truth that God has elected you in eternity past and the promise of a future eternal life is the leverage for us to live godly lives now in the present. Lives that honor him, lives that reflect him. We are going to be a growing in godliness people from one glory to another. That's why we're preaching Titus. That's where we, we plan to be headed. That's, that's what we all need to be praying for. And so I'm praying, he says, for the sake of your faith, verse one, I'm praying for faith. Two categories, the unbeliever. We, we always, we try to, pause a little bit in our service and, and speak to the unbeliever this morning because we know we have unbelievers in the room. You're not a follower of Christ and we want to say thank you again and again and again for being here. Thank you for being here. We want you here. But you need to know on, the, uh, 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 on how we or how I'm thinking this morning, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your faith that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I've got faith for faith. How's that? I believe that's what the Lord is going to do in this series. As we preach through it, individuals will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some might say that evangelism and faith for evangelism is limited when it comes to things like God is sovereign in choosing an eternity past. I'm going to make a completely different argument than that this morning. Simply because that's not the effect that it had on Paul. It didn't 
pull Paul back from his evangelism and his mission. I submit to you, it thrusted him forward in evangelism and mission. Paul seemed to miss the memo that God's choosing purposes would then squish his evangelistic efforts. Instead, he labors for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul was aware that when he preached that God's elect people would come to faith in Christ so that his labor, what? Would not be in vain. It's amazing. I find the doctrines of grace inspire evangelism more than squish evangelism. Because we can know that as we speak the gospel to a lost world, we do so among those who will respond. They belong to him. Indeed, I believe that is why God has placed me where he has placed me. I believe that is why you have the children that you have, why you work where you, li- where you work, where, why you live where you live. Because God is on mission through you. So when Paul was in Corinth, completely discouraged, Jesus speaks to him in a vision. Acts chapter 18, hear what he says, verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. That's a good word for a discouraged soul. <laughs> God's electing purposes in eternity past instructed him in the present. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters in the life of Paul at that moment. So much so that if we look to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation. So they're not saved yet, but they're God's people. They're elect. So I'm enduring everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Praise him. Praise God. So I pray that we, as we go through this letter, here's what I'm praying. God, stir our hearts for evangelism. He's not going to say the word evangelism. He's not going to say the word worship. He's not going to say the word humility. But out of these doctrinal truths, may God establish a people. May God increase our hearts. May God stretch. May God bring us to our knees. May God bring us to repentance where needed. May God take, take our weakness and be shown to be strong. May may there be more faith-filled evangelism and not less because of these truths. So I'm praying for the unbeliever, but I'm also praying for the believer. I'm praying for myself when I say this. I'm praying for us as I say this. I want us to be praying for the faith of the unbeliever and the believer. I pray that your faith believer would be more rooted more anchored in Christ, less wavering, solid, 
anchored to the rock solid person of Jesus Christ. The solid rock, right? On which I stand, we sing. Not just words to be sung, but a truth that lives in our living rooms, that lives in our families, that lives in our marriages, that lives in our neighborhoods. You see, faith isn't just some abstract thing. Faith has an object. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. It's not a blind faith. It's not what we maybe have heard of. Maybe in the tradition that I grew up in, ours was a, was a faith. It was, it was a, you name things and you claim things. That's faith. That's what we were told. This is faith. And, and when you named them and you claimed them and they didn't come to be about, well, there's something wrong with your faith. No, we're not seeking to name things into existence, claim things that aren't ours. We're seeking to make, to, to bring faith to its object. The object of our faith is the Savior of Jesus Christ. We're anchoring ourselves through this series. Less wavering. Solid rock on which I stand. We're not about blind faith at Trinity. We want to have an informed faith at Trinity. Faith is not what some people say it is. It's not about you. It's not about you bolstering up your faith. I just got to somehow, you know, I got to have more faith. I don't know what that means, but I got to make some faith happen. And so I got to say it more times until I finally convince myself of something. No, that's, that's not faith. Faith is a person that we look to. Praise God. May God just blow our faith out the roof of this building as we go through this book. So, so if, if it's not that, what, how, do we, how do we grow in faith? You study God. You study who God is. You take time. You study the character of God. You study your Bible. You get to know the person of this book. It is a God-centered book. It is written not in some sort of code that we've got to somehow decode and find out, oh, all the hidden meanings. No, he's making himself known to us. He's a revealing God. This is the revealed word of God. This is, this is how you get to know God. And the response of knowing God is faith. That we might have a growing faith in who he is. So no, it's not just uh, sit around and just try to bolster yourself. It's spend time with God. Lord, help us. Study the glorious truths. Study this truth, just this one. Again, you might be struggling with me this morning. Wrestle with the word, study this truth. You were chosen in eternity past. Because if you hang out with Jesus... It's going to, he, he's going to affect your faith. I think it was Jerry Bridges. He used to talk about, if you, wanna, if you want grace, get on the train tracks of grace so that you'd be hit by the train of grace. And it's just a simple way of saying, be in the word. Be a man, be a woman of prayer. Seek the Lord. That is going to put you on the train tracks of grace to be hit by the train of grace. 
Lord, help us. So you want to study, and you, you, I mean, sorry, you want to grow in your faith? Well, study the promises of God. Study the promises of God. You want to grow in your faith? Meditate on all that God has done to bring you to faith. All that he's done. I don't mean, I don't mean, don't limit that to just this life. Certainly, consider and think about all that he's done in this life. But why don't you go back further into the life of Christ? And then why don't you go back further before there ever was? To what end? Well, that's why we're doing Titus. This letter tells us to what end. And the worship team can join me. This letter will unpack truths that will drive us to grace and grace will then drive us to transformation. So here, here, we're gonna jump forward. I know they're all coming forward. Pay attention. Chapter two, verses 11 and 12. You might wanna mark this one in your Bible. All right, this is just key to to the little letter. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. To what end? Training us to renounce ungodliness. Training us to renounce Cretan, Cretan living, Cretan culture. The Cretan that, that lives still alive in me. To renounce that and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And I'm just gonna add, to the glory of God. To the glory of God, let there be, verse 11 and 12, at Trinity as we're walking through these next seven weeks. Grace is training us. Praise God. It's training us. God, Christ did not die on the cross for little, you know, he didn't die on the cross to kind of rub off the little burrs in our hearts. No, he came to absolutely, completely transform you and I. He didn't die to stir us up to a little bit of religion, good thing here, good thing there. He died that we might sell out, throw ourselves at his feet, and live for him. Grace is at work, and it creates this faith. We are transformed, which kicks open the doors for our works, our lives that are lived for his glory. So let there be, verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renown on godliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, right now. Lord, help us. Why, Titus? To grow as a God-centered church, to grow in our hearts of humble worship for the sake of faith and godliness in the hope of eternal life. Lord, would you help us? We pray. Let's stand together. Let's lift our voices. Some of us are just ready to sing. Let's sing.